Hey, everyone, and uh, welcome to episode 101 of the Chirps podcast from Birds on the Black. Uh, depending on, I guess, when you start your Cardinals history, you can, I think, make an argument uh, in the Cardinals' 101st season. They won the World Series in, in 1982. I, I think, I guess that depends on if you started in 1882 or 1892. But anyway, 101's a good number, so this should be a good episode, mostly because I am joined today by frequent guest from Viva Alberto's, Ben Godar. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on, especially right after the uh, 100th episode uh, gala celebration episode. Uh, the, that was that was fun to listen to. The The celebration was so big. Tara's still, uh, you know, on the mend, uh, you know. Um, no, Tara's out on assignment. And so thank you so much for, for stepping in. I, you know, we are a Cardinals podcast. We have a lot of Cardinals fans, um, listening, wanting to know what's going on, especially since we are approaching the end of spring training. So I want to get to the important question first, Ben, what do you think of the new hold steady album? Oh my gosh. I am so embarrassed to say this. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. Oh, I know. Oh, I wasn't expecting. Okay. I know. So I feel so. <laughs> and believe me, we, we won't discuss this long. If you want to fast forward like a minute, you'll probably miss it all. But I think during the last album, the thrash, the thrashing through the passion album, I said, this is like, okay, finally a return to form. But I don't think I truly meant it. And when I go back and listen to that now, and it's good, but it doesn't quite excite me like the old albums do. This one is different. This one yeah. really hits me where the others have not post stay positive. So I highly recommend it. All right. No, I need I need to check it out. And and it's it's not them. It's me. I'm just uh, I'm turning into an old guy. And so, you know, as, as much as I love the hold steady, I find that I pretty much I almost always put on uh, Boys and Girls in America, which is my favorite of their records. And so, uh, you know, just the older I get, I sometimes I don't need all the variety. I just want I just want the things I like. But uh, but I need to experience new things, too. And I knew that was out there. I've been really crazy busy for the last couple months. So um, I'll blame that. But uh, yeah, shamefully, have not listened to it yet. Well, understood. Um, before we start recording, and I, I want to hit this because I don't want to save this to the end, but you told me that you have a podcast kind of adventure starting. And yeah, just tell me more about that if you don't mind. Yeah. So it's kind of a exciting new thing uh, that I'm involved in uh, with uh, my good friend, uh, Ben Humphrey, who um, if folks aren't familiar, he's one of the other uh, 200 Bens who write about the Cardinals on the internet. Uh, ben was a longtime uh, uh, site manager and writer at Viva Albertos as well. And uh, so we're, we're kicking off a podcast. It's going to be called Cardinals Off Day. And, you know, the idea is basically that we'll we'll have something posted for you uh, every Cardinals off day. Um, so just kind of try to talk about what's going on at the moment, maybe what we've learned since the last off day, what we're looking forward to, et cetera. So just hopefully be kind of a, a, a fun companion, you know, for you as we're all going through the season and and delivered on a day when, you know, there's not a game. So maybe you got a little extra time for something. So uh, we're, uh, we're, we're putting it together right now. We're hoping to have a, a preview episode available kind of before uh, opening day and then kind of on off days after that. So it'll be in all the, you know, 
whatever you get your podcast kind of thing. If you search for Cardinals off day and uh, we are, uh, we're planning uh, kind of a, a occasional written uh, components that go along as well. So if you go to uh, Cardinals off day dot um, you can subscribe there and then you'll, you'll catch those as well. So that is awesome. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening or read about the Cardinals on the internet um, are already familiar with Ben Humphrey, but, but if you're not, he, he wrote at Viva Alberto's a lot right when I was really getting into the site and right when I was really, I guess, kind of introducing myself to analytics. And I always appreciated the way he wrote because he was always really smart with the data, but in a way that was very accessible to people who perhaps weren't as smart with the data. Someone like me, someone who wasn't as familiar with like a lot of these new terms. And I'm, I'm thinking back to like 2009, 2010 or, or whenever when I first started reading mm-hmm. him. And, you know, I don't know if that's by design. I don't know if that's just how he, he happens to write. But he, he was always one of the few where, for instance, if I was going to send like an article on sabermetrics to my dad, who could care less about sabermetrics and really knows nothing about them, like, he could read a Ben Humphrey piece, and I feel like understand it pretty well. And I, I think that was always what I really admired about his writing. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, Ben is a, a, an attorney, as so many of you who write about <laughs> the Cardinals are. Um, and I, I always feel like, you know, Ben just builds these rock solid legal arguments, you know, where he just kind of he lays a base down and then he just kind of keeps keeps building on it. And, you know, by the end, yeah, he's made his case really strongly and clearly. But, you know, he's also a really good writer, too. I don't want to make it sound like it's dry. You know, I've I've always loved his writing, too. And and so it's uh, yeah, going to be fun talking Cardinals with him. I, I assume the first episode will be that uh, dreaded uh, off day right after opening day. Will, will you all just complain about how, how awful that is and how, how they need to change that and how it's, uh, it's such yeah, a bummer I, every year? I think so. I think so. Honestly, at this point, we're just trying to uh, get all the you know behind the scenes stuff with all the RSS feeds and all that kind of stuff, make sure that's all lined up, and then we're going to get that preview episode up. And yeah, I, I know I, I did look ahead and I was like, Oh gosh, there's an off day like two days later. So I feel like we'll, uh, we'll see how well we meet this challenge of having a worthwhile conversation every off day. That'll be a, be a real challenge right out of the gate. Well, that sounds awesome. And I'm, I'm really, really excited for that. And, uh, you're always good to have on this time of year as well, because you, you have a good eye for spring training. You pay attention to spring training. Um, you, you listen to a lot of the games. I know, uh, I assume you're doing that this year. And again, assuming that's the case, what, what has caught your eye this spring training in terms of, let's start with the positives, anything jump out at you just as a pleasant surprise, or I'm looking forward to this, that. Yeah. Well, um, and I, I was on with uh, I was on Meet Me at Musial a couple weeks ago and uh, chatting with uh, Daniel and Alan and and as I said there I do listen to a lot of spring training games but it's almost more of like a, uh, I'm just I'm basking in the aesthetic of the sound of a baseball game <laughs> because well I do I listen and I, and I do watch when I you know when I have a chance to watch one as well I just don't take spring training very seriously. Um, in fact, my post that's up at VEB uh, tomorrow, or actually it'll probably be t- today as people are, are listening to this on, on Wednesday, is is kind of about that. I actually, I, I sort of compare um, believing in spring training stats to believing in QAnon. So, you know, I thought, hey, let's, why not? Let's go there. Let's go there. So anyway, the comments should be fun. Check those out. 
Um, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, uh, I mean, you know, and we all know it. Um, you know, we, we all know that it's a small sample size. We know that the competition is really uneven. We know that we can't even always be sure essentially who's trying and who's not, but at the same time, we're, humans that are wired for narratives. So we see, you know, we see these things, we try to assign meaning to them. So I'm as guilty of that as anyone else. But knowing we're going to be talking about that today, I tried to separate my narrative hunting out and think about, you know, what is there that's happened that I actually would put some stock in. Um, And the first thing I thought is, in in terms of, and I think you even said kind of maybe focus on some positives here. So we'll, uh, we'll keep it in the whole steady realm and stay positive. Uh, There's haven't been any really major injuries, right? So that's to me, that's about the best thing that can come out of spring training. I hadn't even thought about um, that. Sorry to interrupt, but you're right. I had not even thought about that. And usually by now, there's someone where like, oh shoot, I guess we'll have to make up for that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think the only the only significant injury I can think of is mm-hmm. Michaelis. And as Alex can see, because we have video now, I'm making air quotes when I say that's a major injury. <laughs> so, um, no, Michaelis, I think, is a big question mark. Uh, you know, Kim took a little bit of a kind of step back, but it's sounding like he's going to be, you know, uh, on track for, for opening day. So I'd say that's the, the biggest thing to me is that there's no injuries. Um, Past that, I kind of started thinking, well, sometimes there is physical stuff you can see. And especially now that some of these parks are getting wired up with all the StatCast technology and stuff, you know. Um, And uh, John LaRue wrote a really good piece over at VEB uh, just a a few days ago, I think, um, on this. And uh, so, you know, exit velocity, for example. And I know a big one that jumped out to me and that John mentioned as well, uh, Delvin Perez, who looks like a different human being if you haven't seen him. He's you know, kind of bulked up. And uh, he's, I think, had the fourth highest exit velocity on the team so far this spring. Um, So, you know, he's hitting the ball hard. You know, that's real. That's not a small sample size kind of thing we have to worry about. But that's saying, hey, this guy is physically capable of something, you know, that we haven't seen him do before. So that's uh, important, I think. And that's something I, I take seriously. Uh, Justin Williams has had really strong exit velocities too. A little less surprising there. That's kind of his his thing. But, um, you know, that's that's good to see as well. Um, and then the last thing, and I'm sorry, Alex, I'm, I'm just kind of, no, you know, steamrolling and rolling through, <laughs> rolling through things here. Um, but, uh, you know, the other thing is, Approach, I think you can sometimes see some things you can see, like, is a guy doing something a little bit different from an approach standpoint? I think that gets a little squishier, and I, I don't have as much faith in that. But I will say, to that end, uh, Tyler O'Neill to me, looks like he has a better approach at the plate. And I've particularly been excited about seeing him drive a number of balls to all fields, because I feel like for, for him as a player that's that's the type of hitter he should try to be because he has such monstrous power he doesn't need to be one of these dead pole guys you know to uh you know to hit home runs um so you know if he can if he can try to you know be more in that you know albert pujols type you know cover the whole plate uh you know if they pitch him away drive it to the you know drive it to the opposite field um but just more of an approach like that i think that's the right approach from him and I feel like we've seen that. But again, even there, I think I'm kind of getting into that narrative thing where I'm like, boy, I hope that's a story that's true. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, those are I mean, those are some of the things that kind of jumped out to me. Have you have you been watching? Is there anything that's jumped out to you? I have not been watching uh, mostly just because of the the 
the games are on typically during the day when I'm working. Uh, although that should not stop me from throwing it on the radio. So maybe I should certainly start doing that. I, but, but I have been paying attention. I have been trying to, to read perhaps these narratives that are being written because something needs to be written because it's March and real baseball hasn't started <laughs> yet. And I, I think I'm mostly uh, I, surprise is not the right word, but I'm encouraged by the, uh, Adam Wainwright starts so far, including, I believe today, did, did he pitch today or am I thinking of yesterday? Uh, I think it was today. I think it was today. COVID time. I I don't, I'm all messed. I don't know. It could have been two weeks ago for all I know. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was today. Right. And it sounds like he, he looked again, pretty good today. And well, I, I know no one's expecting Adam Wainwright to be 2014 Adam Wainwright, but Again, if we're talking a guy who is, I believe, in his age 39 season, if we could get 150 innings from an Adam Wainwright, uh, that is very huge, um, especially if he resembles the, the type of pitcher he was last year where he could still you know, throw a filthy curveball when he needed to. So I, I think that has been the main thing. You know, on the, on the other side of the coin, uh, I, I look at Matt Carpenter, who I, I think I read today is now one for 30 in spring training. And I'm like, you know, obviously that's not good, but who knows? Or is that just me doing a, there's bad things happening at Comet Pizza uh, uh, sort of, <laughs> sort of <thing. laughs> Am I making too much of this? Because, you know, when he was 0 for 12, I was rationalizing it by, look, every single player on the roster at some point this season is going to have a stretch where they're 0 for 12. Um, but right. we're also talking about, someone who has, from what we can tell, has been on the downturn for the last two seasons. On the other hand, I think we've also, I don't want to say wasted a lot of ink talking about Matt Carpenter, but maybe we're talking about him too much. We do It's have Nolan Arenado now, you know, who will be playing third base. It's not as if Matt Carpenter is going to be penciled in every day at, at third base or anything like that. Now, you know, he. I'm expecting him to still get, you know, playing time, but I, I I do feel as though we're we are stressing a lot about a guy who is probably not going to exceed 500 plate appearances. Um, maybe maybe people are worried about the amount of money he's making. I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I say good good right. for you. I, I I remember when you right. were a guest on this show. I don't remember if it was last year, or the year before. You pointed out that he was basically our most productive hitter during the last decade. Yeah, and so. Yeah. Get that, get that money, you know, especially for a guy whose oh, career yeah. started so late. Uh, you know, he, he really didn't come mm-hmm. into his own until about, what, his age 28 season or something like that, you know. So yeah. I'm not that worried about him. Um, obviously, again, one for 30 is not good no matter how you look at it. But I think the team can survive, one, overpaying Matt Carpenter, and two, a bad right. Matt Carpenter. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say I am worried about him, but I don't think – how he does will affect the team all that much. You know, I mean, I, I think he's, he's a bench bat is basically what his, where he projects this year. And yeah. How, how worried are you ever about, you know, the, the team's bench bat, (laughs) you know, Uh, you're not, you're, you know, you're just, you're not that worried about it. And yeah, there's definitely people who are like, Oh geez, he's making all that money and everything. But you know, those, those people are awful. So um, that's a, I mean, you're right. It, he he deserves it. It doesn't really affect the team that much. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 and again, 
when I, when I hold to my belief that like spring training stats don't mean anything, I have to tell myself, so someone like Matt Carpenter, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean anything for him, just like it doesn't mean anything for, you know, Nolan Arenado uh, or whoever else. But it, it, it is always the case that, you know, players at a certain level, I think it's easier for us to say, well, spring training doesn't mean anything. So, you know, Arenado, for example, has his spring training numbers aren't like great. He doesn't have hasn't hit for a lot of, you know, extra bases or anything like that. But no, absolutely nobody cares. Nobody's worried. He's fine. Right. But that's because we, we his baseline is is quite high. You know, Matt Carpenter had really dipped to a point that was like, you know, b- you know, barely kind of, you know, looking like major league caliber is kind of where I feel like he he left off. And so a guy who's there, just like a young guy who's trying to make the team for the first time, you know, they're the ones where you kind of hope, I guess, that in spring training, they show you something to say, oh, I should be on this side of the, I should be on the side of the line where I'm, you know, part of the the roster or whatever. And for him, um, yeah, it's, it's looked, you know, it, it's, it, it's, he hasn't done that. And, and you're right. It's, it's, you know, it's 30 at bats. So it's, it's not a big sample size. It could mean nothing, but given all that we've had leading up to it over the last year or two, I think most of us see it as kind of the continuation of a downward slide rather than a, a momentary dip in spring right. training. He's not projected in any system to be good. Um, and so right. I, I guess that would be, I don't know if reinforcing that is, is the right thing, but I, I, I think maybe the concern would be that, look, he's no longer a good player, but yeah. he's going to get more at bats than he should get. Um, and, you know, I said yeah. the thing about, you know, he's probably not gonna get 500 plate appearances. There are probably a lot of people who feel like if he gets half that, that's too, that's too, way too many. Um, and yeah. so, you know, wh- whether he's going to keep a player like Williams, you know, off, mm-hmm. off the roster or off the field or whatever, I guess that is a legitimate concern. Um, and, yeah. and I certainly understand that, but yeah, whether it's the fact that he's making money uh, or, or whatever, that's, that's certainly not nothing that's going to, I think, keep me up <laughs> at least. Do you, do you think there is a chance that he is, DFA'd or, you know, given the, the gentleman's 60 day DL or <laughs> something like that at some point this season? Right now, no. I, I, cause I still believe he's valuable at something, you know, I still believe he can be valuable at getting on base and working counts. Right. And, and while that's obviously not as valuable as second half 2018 Matt Carpenter. Um, right. That's still nice to have around, especially for a guy on the bench. And and I think he means enough to the organization. At least I, I hope he does at least that mm-hmm. that wouldn't be the case. But again, you know, this right. could be, um, I probably would have said the same thing about a, uh, a player with a, a much less pedigree, at least when it comes to his time with the Cardinals, I probably would have said the same thing about Johnny Peralta. Uh, going into his final mm-hmm. year. And that's basically what happened mm-hmm. to him, if I recall. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that, that's a good point. And, and I I don't I don't necessarily think so either, but I, I think it's I think it's also a non zero possibility, you know, and if there's if if he really just is, you know, washed out there, um I mean there's probably a point where they do, you know, look at whoever they they can although i think i saw today williams i think they ruled that that justin williams is out of options which makes me think that williams is going to be on the roster um one way or the other 
Uh, so, you know, but somebody like Nagowski or Dean or, you know, or even, uh, um, uh, uh, oh gosh, who's the other center fielder? Not Bader, Lane but, uh, Tom Lane Thomas. Yeah. You know, any of those guys with options, I think are, you know, much easier. And, th- and that's the other thing that I think happens to some of these older players that people don't necessarily like is, you know, when you're, you know, a, a Matt Carpenter, you cannot send him to the minors. You cannot do, you know, he's, he's on your club or you're, you know, and you're, you're paying him and that's kind of, uh, or you've, or you cut him. There's, there's just, there's not a lot of other options. So sometimes at the end of, you know, I mean, careers often end badly, you know, like even for like great players, you know, the end of careers is often ugly. And you you read people talking about, you know, Willie Mays final year as a New York Met, you know, and just couldn't hit, you know, anything at all. And, you know, we remember guys like that. I mean, I mean, Jim Edmonds last couple of years were not especially pretty and it's, you know, it's, it's the way it goes. But I think that Carpenter has been so good for so long that, I think there may be a, a little bit of a rough parting here, but I, I would be shocked if in short order, he does not return to a beloved status among Cardinals fans. Well, I hope that's the case. And, and speaking of uh, believing in things that probably aren't true, um, you know, as, as you brought up earlier, I, I, I like to cling to the idea that that late 2019 four-game series at Wrigley doesn't go the way it does if Matt Carpenter doesn't hit that go-ahead home run right after Carlos Martinez kind of gives up, what was it, a three-run lead? Uh, that In the very first game, Jack Flaherty has a great start, yeah. and uh, Carlos does not have a very good outing to close the game, and the Cubs tied the game, almost won the game, but we escaped the inning with just the score tied, and then Matt Carpenter, Craig Kimball, Kimbrell, of course, uh, throwing the pitch, but Matt Carpenter hits a home run to immediately break the tie and kind of just, I feel as though the series, even though there are three games to play after that, I feel like that was a big, big moment because I feel like the Cardinals cough up that game, a game they had in the bag with their best pitcher on the mound, where if I recall, they went into that series up two or up three, whereas the Cubs still had a chance to not only catch them, but, but maybe even be ahead of them after a series was over. I think there's a good chance that series goes differently. Now, maybe that's an insane thing to say because it would have had, you know, any logical person will tell you that has no bearing on what happens the three games after. But if you are even a slight believer in like clubhouse, just, uh, I don't know how, how good you're feeling, you know, momentum or whatever. I think there might be some validity to that. Or maybe I just want to believe that because I like feeling good things about Matt Carpenter, but that was a huge home run no matter what. Oh yeah. Well, he's hit so many. I mean that that series at Wrigley in uh tw- was that that was 2018, wasn't it? The 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 salsa year or was that 2017? Time oh. time means nothing to me anymore. Yeah, when but, he uh, hit three home runs and, and yeah, that was yeah. 2018. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that's I mean, that's probably in the, you know, top 5 or 10 all-time kind of, you know, games and moments of a, of a Cardinal that I've ever ever watched and that was incredible. Well, so. I, I was telling Alan and Daniel, I was I'm still kind of mad they they took him out for that last at bat. Now, uh, I think yeah. one of them brought up the point that they had a position player in by that point. Right. So maybe it wouldn't have even been fair if he got another hit, but at the same time, no one would have cared years from now like if he if he but, hits a, I agree. Sh- sh- chivalry is dead. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, like who, let him, you know, yeah. 
let him jack one off of. I don't even remember who they had come in to, to pitch. I, but. I don't either. But if he hits a home run and finishes a game with four home runs and two doubles, mm-hmm. that's the greatest nine inning game of all time, right? It has yeah. to be. Yeah, I can't. I mean, yeah. there's there's nothing even like that. There's been just a handful of games where a guy has hit four home runs in a game. It doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. It rarely happens. To then yeah. have two doubles to go along with that. Now, you know, yeah. obviously I'm assuming Matt Carpenter hits a home run, which is certainly no guarantee. But I, if a guy named Scooter Jeanette can hit four home runs in a game, then certainly yeah. Matt Carpenter can as well. So I don't know. Real, I, real quick, I want to stay on, uh, I guess, spring training or just the roster in general. Because when I was talking to Tara a few weeks back, I said – something to the effect that I thought the outfield, and when I say the outfield, I mean an outfield of O'Neill, Bader, and Carlson, which, um, you know, I feel like th- that's going to be the outfield we see most of the time. I, I said it has, I think it has a uh, kind of a low floor, high ceiling feel to it. And one person said to me, like, low floor maybe, but I don't see a high ceiling, which is, is fair because I'm not sure if any of those three guys are projected to be above average hitters this year. Um, so th- they're probably right around there, but at the same time, yeah. Tyler O'Neill, as you already said, has always had this crazy potential of, right. uh, you know, we just haven't seen a large chunk of Tyler O'Neill, but as I've heard people talk about recently, he has improved the things he's been very bad at every year in small increments. Right. We've just never seen it cross a whole se- across a whole season. Dylan Carlson is still, to me, unlocked potential. Well, I think to everyone, unlocked potential. He just looks so smooth and fluid with everything that he does. And Harrison Bader, you know, I'm not expecting anything that we haven't already seen from Harrison Bader. But I do feel as though if things turn right, mostly with O'Neill and Carlson, that that's a really good outfield. Yeah, it does, but you could, know, it also be a really good outfield, I should say. Yeah. Right, exactly. No, I agree. It could it absolutely could be, but it it does feel like, you know, like rolling, you know, triple snake eyes or something <laughs> too, you know. Triple snake eyes? No, you can't have triple snake. Why would you have three eyes? I, I, I think I've seen a few snakes out. I know I've seen a snake with two heads. Uh so Okay. So, okay. At like a state well, fair yeah, or something. It was something or living a little too close to the chemical plant maybe. Um yeah. <laughs> sort of thing going on. I don't know. Uh Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my thing is always, uh, you know, there's always going to be some guys who overperform what everyone's expecting. That's always going to happen. You know, there's always going to be some guys that underperform what everyone's expecting. So this is the thing where I do put a lot of faith in projections because at the end of the day, you teams do tend to be in the ballpark of their projections because, when they're not, it's it's because you had, you know, all, you know, you know, if you consider each of those a coin flip, you know, are they above or below their projection, right? You know, if you if you've got a flip like, you know, five out of seven heads, right? It's, it, it, yeah, it can happen. It's not crazy, but but you, you're just you're having to hope on like too many too many things. And with the lineup this year, I do feel like that's this kind of Cardinals lineup this year. And I, and I know what you're saying because I talk to other Cardinals fans too sometimes. And people are like, oh, man, if, if you know, if, if Bader can keep, you know, doing da-da-da and if O'Neal can unlock this and if, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like you just named everybody on the team and gave me like a, a plausible scenario where they're successful. And I agree that every one of those things could happen, but that all or most of them are going to happen together, you know, it starts to get 
a little um, a little more far fetched. The one thing to me though that always gives me reassurance about the Cardinals as an organization is that. Um, and I agree with what you said about those three guys having both kind of a low floor and a high ceiling. Cause I think there's a lot of variability with them, but I do think that organizationally the outfield just as basically everywhere else on a Cardinals team, they always maintain such a high floor because they just stockpile so many solid replacement ish and, and, you know, to league average type guys. And so, and I, as I look around, I just, I think that's what keeps the Cardinals you know, so strong. And I look at a team like the Reds, you know, and like, you know, the Reds try to make a push and be good, you know, acting like it's, you know, 2002 and going out and signing, you know, Mike Moustakas and Nick Castellanos and, you know, sign all these free agents. It's like teams aren't built that way anymore. And, and unless you hit that lottery ticket, you're going to wash out. The Cardinals stay so strong because anybody who doesn't perform, there's another guy who's not a superstar, but, like he'll be fine, you know? And so the outfield, and that's probably to me the the part of the lineup and probably everybody that they're most concerned mm-hmm. about. But it, to me, it's like, you know, even if in Carlson, I'm definitely the most confident in, but, you know, again, we just look at the numbers. You've got, you've got Dean, you've got Williams, you've got Thomas, you know, uh, kind of on and on and on. I feel like uh, they're going to find, you know, three to four guys who are fine, <laughs> like probably won't be great, but th- they'll be fine. I don't think it'll be uh, a disaster. And, 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 you know, that'll be good enough, hopefully with, you know, some decent production out of a few offensive players, hopefully still strong pitching, you know, they're, they're still right there in a competitive team. Yeah. It's funny. You, you phrase it that way because what you just described as a good thing um, and, and I certainly see your point has been something that has just been very frustrating to me, which is that they can't figure out the outfield. It's, it's been kind of like yeah. this roving of guys who are all very serviceable uh, to promising in some yeah. areas, but also very flawed. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, whether it's from Randall Gritchick to, to all these other players. Um, now I, yeah. I will say um, I, I, I will never um, talk badly about the Reds signing uh, Castellanos just for the Tom Brenneman moment we had last season. You know, we don't have that without that signing. So I I think uh, that's a very underrated uh, move. That uh, (laughs) (laughs) that was one of the highlights of a very strange year uh, last season. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I got to give that give credit where credit's (laughs) due or something. It was the call of Tom Brenneman's career, (laughs) quite literally. It definitely was. The let's talk about the pitching staff really quickly because I, I, I read Matt Trueblood's newsletter and he, he made a, a point, um, a, a pretty obvious point, but obvious in the way that I think we've all been kind of feeling this, but he's basically said like, you know, I'm feeling less good about this rotation by the day because I, I think a lot of us have felt that way with Carlos not looking great. Um, uh, obviously, Michaelis, you know, that's that was dealt with a couple weeks ago. Um, who knows with KK Flaherty, you know, Flaherty kind of goes back to what we talked at the beginning. Like, I don't really care about Flaherty struggling during spring training. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt that Flaherty is a very good pitcher. That doesn't mean he's the same. That doesn't mean he's to the second half 2019 good because almost nobody is good like that. But 
right. I still have faith that he's a he's a very solid pitcher. But but I do think there there are obviously reasons to be concerned about this rotation. And one thing that concerns me is I think this is actually a very strong bullpen. But if you're relying on your bullpen to to pitch too many innings, then they can only take you so far. You, you know, you can't. It doesn't yeah. matter how good your bullpen is if you're asking them to to pitch four innings, five innings every night. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm. I feel like I'm a bit of an outlier on this because I'm not that worried about the rotation right now, and I I feel like I should be. And I I wrote about this a week or two ago because um, I I took a look at. Uh, couple of the projection systems that were lowest on the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I looked at the uh, uh, baseball prospectus, uh, Pocota projections, and then uh, Clay Davenport's projections were also like really low on the Cardinals. He had them at like 79 wins or something. And, and I looked at them just because I was kind of like, what, you know, what are they seeing? And in both cases, what surprised me was, I mean, they, they, they thought, you know, the offense was going to be really bad, like bottom third of the league, but that the offense has been bottom third of the league, you know, the runs in terms of run scoring the last couple of years. So that's, just, I mean, that's who they are. But uh, both of those projections had the the pitching also, you know, kind of in that, you know, around that, like maybe bottom third or, or at least bottom half of the league. And uh, whereas they've been, uh, I think, top five and top, eight maybe uh the last two years and in terms of and, and I, I was just looking at runs allowed there so just kind of a real basic formula so pitch that's pitching and defense together of course but um and i, I mean that really surprised me because th- as i started unpacking that i thought well so runs allowed okay you do have defense there the defense is basically the same colton wong is gone and that's that's a small i mean that's a downgrade there but but really, it's it's still a pretty solid defense. And of course, you've added Nolan Arenado too. So I mean, you're probably a wash there. So not worried about that. I don't think anybody could be really too concerned about the bullpen. I mean, that's a pretty strong bullpen, right? So it feels like it all comes down to the rotation. And I just don't I don't see what's so different about this year's Cardinals rotation that would do that. And I, I actually I went and I kind of looked. So. Uh, because I just wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy or I wasn't forgetting somebody. So I went on to baseball reference and looked at, you know, who were the top five starters each, you know, each year, just in, you know, in terms of starts. So in 2020, uh, it was Wainwright, Flaherty, Hudson, Kim, and Ponce de Leon. And then uh, Martinez and Oviedo were kind of tied behind that. It was a little bit of a weird year. I mean, they weren't really on like a much of a five man rotation last year because of COVID and everything. But so those were the guys last year, right? So, out of that group, uh, you know, Hudson, obviously injury Hudson's out this mm-hmm. year. So you've got one, you have one spot open in that rotation. And again, that was, and I, I don't remember if it was like a top five or top eight, but that was a very good pitching staff overall last year at Cardinals. Right. Or, or, and so, um, so then I looked at, okay, well, coming into this year, who would we, who did we anticipate the rotation was going to be? And I think pretty universally, we thought it was going to be Flaherty, Wainwright, Kim, Martinez, Michaelis, right? Those are going to be the five guys, okay? So now that we've come through spring training, who is it look like it's going to be on opening day? It's going to be Flaherty, Wainwright, Kim, Martinez, and then probably, I would guess, Ponce de Leon or Gant, okay? So all you've done from 2020, really, is like Hudson's injured, okay? Um, you thought you were going to have Michaelis back, mm-hmm. but you don't have Michaelis back, and so now you have Ponce de Leon or Gant in that position. 
to me, that's just not like that doesn't seem that uh, strange. It doesn't seem like that's uh, you know what I mean? We're not talking about, oh, my gosh, there's, you know, four guys missing. I mean, look at the look at the Cubs rotation. Yeah. Like, I don't even know who a couple of those guys are, <laughs> frankly. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely not a disaster. Of, uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I think the concern, at least from my standpoint, and this could go right to what we talked about at the beginning, which is don't worry about it. The spring training is the just how Carlos Martinez has pitched this year. Um, yeah. KK, I know he had velocity issues, but it sounds like that's that's been mostly fixed or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm 100 happy uh, just uh, conceding your point because that's that's where I'd like to be as <laughs> as well. And, and yeah. I, I think when you break it down that way, it does make a lot of, a lot of sense. Now, I, I think the struggle is also like, well, we're relying on, um, I, I know a lot of people called Adam Wainwright, our best pitcher last year. And I think by several metrics he was, but we're still talking about a guy who's 39 years old. So I, I do think there, there are possible reasons to be concerned. I think the flips, the other thing you can say though is that like the NL Central is proudly and staunchly mediocre <laughs> this year. I mean, I, I think that was like a yeah. uh, very good group effort by everyone to like let's be aggressively okay, uh, with an exception of the Pirates, uh, who yeah. you know what can you do with the Pirates, right? So at the end of the day, you have to just beat those four teams, and I, I do think that this team is still in a position where they can beat those four teams. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, um, to me, the the Brewers are the the team that's fairly fairly close with them, um, and and you know could be competitive. But um, I don't know. I also just always come back to what what are these teams going to do during the season? And the Cardinals are committed to uh, playoff baseball every year, or you know, being a competitive team every year, and so whether it's the outfield, whether it's this rotation, you know, any of these areas where it's like, oh, there could be some holes there. If that's the case, I feel like the Cardinals will will fill those holes either internally from, again, a pretty deep bench of guys that can, you know, hold the floor at a reasonable level, or they will go out and, and acquire somebody. I mean, the, are the Cubs going to go out and acquire somebody? No, they're not. They're more likely to, you know, continue dumping guys. I think as soon as they can get the price they want for, uh, you know, for Bryant or, uh, 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 gosh, who else? Uh, anyway, you know, anybody else are trying to dump, you know, the, the fire sales clearly on there. Um, you know, the reds have only shed payroll, you know, the, uh, so far I don't see them, you know, going out and doing anything. Uh, you know, the, the brewers don't have any money and, and, you know, any real, uh, uh, you know, and again, not that you're you're not exactly using dollars when you're trading, but the point is, I don't see most of these other teams aggressively improving um, if they need to, and I do see the Cardinals doing that. So that's that's just another kind of thing for me that m- makes me feel pretty confident that you know the Cardinals, if they don't win this division, they're going to be at least right there, you know, to the end. I think I agree. Uh, I, I think the Cubs scare me a little more, I think, than they scare you. And, and that just could be um, irrational. They're the Cubs and, you know, they have – I still think that lineup is somewhat solid. But the pitching is It is, is but that yeah, pitching yeah, I mean, is Hendrick Hendricks is their opening and, day starter. Um, and Hendricks is a very good pitcher. But 
he's opening a starter because no right. one's really heard of the other four. I, I mean, I mean, <laughs> because yeah. Well, and have you seen this this narrative they're pushing about you know because like nobody on their staff throws above like ninety one, and there's this narrative I've seen like club officials and journalists pushing that oh they're 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 going back to a different style of pitching. And, you know, they're they're pitching to contact. They're playing the game the way it ought to be played. And to me, that feels like laying the groundwork for like a, uh, you know, a 6.0 staff ERA for the season. I, I had not like to me. seen that. I have not seen any of those articles. That sounds like some very impressive water carrying to me. And I, 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 I salute them for that. Oh, it is. No, it is. Totally. Because and some of it's tied into, of course, you know, Theo's like on that, you know, blue ribbon committee now that's, you know, uh, coming up with the, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, 1990s Nintendo video game rules for the minor leagues to, you know, re- recalibrate the game and bring back all this. And so some of the comments he's made, I, th- I think I, I feel like I've seen Hoyer, just other people from the front office, but there's there's just other people kind of echoing that whole thing about changing the style and all this, which, which you know, that's its own conversation. And there may be some merit to that, but I just, I don't see how, you know, them, uh, you know, having a fire sale and, and only bringing in, you know, guys who can't throw, uh, you know, again, above like 91. I don't, I don't exactly see how those two things quite fit together into the same argument, but um, I don't know. I guess you got to sell something to the fans. So. I'm going to shift the conversation real quick to Mike Shannon. I, I think every time you're on and we talk a little bit about Mike Shannon, but Heather Simon, uh, little scooter, who's uh uh, probably been at Viva Alberto's uh, as long as anyone but you, I, I, I think by this point. But um, uh, she she had a post yesterday. I think it was yeah. I don't know when it was. Uh, again, COVID time. Uh, who knows when anything happens now? But uh, basically, people's greatest uh, moments with Mike Shannon or Mike Shannon's greatest hits. And I, I want to tell a one Mike Shannon thing that just I remember just had me cracking up so much and then uh if you have anything to share please do so but I I remember listening to a game probably six or seven years ago and of course he's talking about some game back in 1960 whatever and when Red was the manager and there's a close play at third and uh the the Cardinals are batting and a, a Cardinal gets thrown out at third and from Red's vantage point, the, the, I don't remember who it was, but he was clearly safe, whoever the Cardinal was, clearly safe. And so he runs out and is just, uh, just really giving it to the umpire or giving him the business, I think, as Mike Shannon would say or did say, in fact. And, and of course, Mike Shannon, while telling this story, and I'm not giving it any justice at all, but was laughing, doing his, his typical laugh, but even a little more so to the point that I could tell what he was building to was really funny to him and he said at one point red to kind of demonstrate to the ump why the runner was safe reenacted the slide into the base to show to show why the runner beat the tag or whatever and then mike shannon paused for a second and then said and the ump threw him out and the ump i guess then um called him out again like so so red reenacts the slide and the ump i guess and, and I, I meant to bring this I, I meant to say this earlier i guess the umpire when he called him out the first time it was a very animated you're out it you're out like you know go yeah, sit down like, yeah. like which i love i i love umps uh 
who who are really into a good uh, year out call. Like, oh yeah, they, they go full Enrico yeah, Palazzo. Yeah, really, yeah. Leaned, yes. It sounds like he really leaned into it, and it sounds like he leaned into it even more when Red trying to show him up was trying to show him why, in fact, the Cardinal was safe, and the ump called Red out and say no. Oh my and gosh! I Mike, mean, just from a two-man comedy routine, that's perfect by the umpire to call him. Out oh yeah, it's, it sounded wonderful. Um, Shannon told it much better in terms of explaining exactly what happened. Um, I felt like I could see the steam coming out of Red's ears, and I could see the umpire calling Red out again. Um, yeah, but the way uh, he was laughing. Uh, was so infectious that me and a guy I, who, um, a friend of mine who's also a Cardinals fan, we were listening to the game. We were just laughing so hard, mostly just because of Shannon. Uh, yeah. And he, he has that way of taking, I mean, th- that's a pretty awesome moment, but he can take a pretty um, inconsequential, uh, not awesome moment where that he'll just find amusing. And all of a sudden I'm finding amusing because Mike Shannon's laughing. Mm-hmm. And anytime Mike Shannon's laughing, uh, that's good. But yeah, that's the one. Um, gosh, I wish I, I wish I you had, you know, taped it or I wish I could find it online somehow or a transcript or something. But it was so damn funny. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, gosh, I I don't know that I have. Well, I do. I have one specific Mike Shannon moment, although I feel like I might have told the story on the show before. Um did, did I tell you about the game I was listening to where he started telling the story about going out with Harry Carey and Elvis? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. Okay, yeah. okay. But feel free to repeat it because <laughs> so, I, I, can, I can have my fill of Elvis on, on this, you know. So I'll tell you, I actually, in preparation for today, uh, I did a little research to back this story up too. Uh, but um, so I was listening, this is, I don't know, probably four or five years ago. And I remember it was a spring training game too, which of course it just it doesn't matter what's happening on the field anyway. And and uh, so in the middle of one of the innings, Mike Shannon just starts telling this story, and I feel like it had happened in Florida, but it might have happened somewhere else too. I don't remember where they were at the time. But he's talking about how like you know oh you know it came out of the ballpark and uh, and uh, this big old Cadillac pulls up, and who's inside? It's Harry Carey and Elvis Presley, and, and Harry Carey's like. You know, Mike, get in, get in. <laughs> so, so then Shannon gets in the Cadillac with Elvis Presley and Harry Carey, and then oh, ground ball, double play, and that's the end of the inning. And then they go to commercial. <laughs> they come back, and he's just talking about the next inning. And I'm like, none of us care about the next inning of this spring training game, but every one of us, you know, listened through all of those like St. Louis area insurance commercials in <laughs> hopes that we would hear the the story of the unbelievable night of debauchery that Mike Shannon, Harry Carey and Elvis had had together. And so anyway, I, I thought I had told that story on this before, because I think I said then too, it's one of those, like, I, like, I mean, I feel like I remember it really distinctly, but it also starts to feel like, God, did I, am I conflating two things or whatever? And I, I, somebody on Twitter, I felt like reached out and said like, no, that's true. I remember it kind of da da da. So like before we got on today, I thought like, oh, I'm just going to Google and see like if I can find anything about this. Now I couldn't find anything that was specifically with Mike Shannon, but I did confirm that Harry Carey and Elvis were like pals. And so (laughs) 
as the story goes, and this is in, uh, there's a, I found a Sports Illustrated article on this, and it's also in a, like a little uh, documentary on Harry Carey that MLB put together a few years ago. So I, I saw this story kind of retold in a couple different places. But in the mid-60s, uh, Carey, Harry Carey was, uh, of course, voice of the Cardinals at the time. But uh, he also would call um, like St. Louis Billikens games. And they were playing uh, Memphis or one of the uh, a college. I was in Memphis anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't remember at the time what it was, but so he was like there calling. He was calling a game. It was on the radio, and there's and, and a phone call comes in to the studio, and it's like you know you know hey is this, uh, you know is this Harry Carey. He's like yeah. And he's like oh this is Elvis. And he's like and Harry Carey's been like oh, okay hello Elvis. What can I help you with? Like he's like no this is this is Elvis. This is Elvis Presley right? And so. <laughs> And Elvis asks him, he says, uh, so uh, how are the Cardinals going to be this year? Which, first of all, I was like, was Elvis a Cardinals fan? Because this is... Probably was, right? It makes sense yeah. where he grew yeah. up, where he lived, right? But anyway, so they apparently talk on the phone, and then Elvis drove down in a, in a you know a big old Cadillac and picked picked him up, and they went <laughs> out. And as the story goes, in one of these places, they uh, they ordered ribs for dinner together at 5 a.m. that night. So, so Harry <laughs> Carey and Elvis were buddies. So I so that's that's confirmed. So it's very easy to believe that there was a point in time where the two of them got together, wherever it was. Mike Shannon was there. He went out with them. So I never got to hear the end of that story. I should send a letter to the station re- specifically requesting, please, for Mike's the- final year in the booth, please have him tell the story of that game. Because like I don't care if it's Game Seven of the World Series, right? Or, you know, like, I don't care if it's like, you know, two strikes on freeze, the Cardinals are down to their last out. Like, tell me the Elvis and Harry Carey story. I'm I'm in. I'm all in for that. Well, knowing Elvis and certainly knowing Harry Carey, there's a chance that in the commercial break, Mike Shannon relayed what he was about to say right. went on that evening. And they were like, no. Right. You, and and Jim Jackson told them, no, you cannot say that. <laughs> but... uh I also, though, like you, would like to hear um, uh, whatever holes need to be filled in there. So, yes, please, please do send that uh, <laughs> send that email or whatever to the station. And who knows, maybe Mike would, uh, you know, he's always looking for things to talk to talk about uh, other than, you know, the oh, man. the game, especially if it's a not particularly exciting one. But oh, yeah, I'm su- I'm going to send that in. I, I that should happen. And, you know. That would be just, I, I've kind of wondered what are they going to do this year, you know, to kind of commemorate that, you know, are they going to do something with kind of, you know, great moments with him or something, mm-hmm. but I feel it's more just like get him to tell some of his, you know, stories, you know, just, just, you know, you know, one more time, let him, you know, run through some of these, you know, best stories that he has. Absolutely. He's a, he's a wonderful storyteller and in Heather's articles she embedded a tweet i think it was from like the royals review that said something to the effect of uh, and believe me i got it uh the, the tweet said like the great thing about listening to mike shannon is he sounds like he's about to say something that'll cost him his job at any moment which i get that but i also feel like mike knows exactly what he, even though like he just seems to be like kind of flying by the seat of his pants i think he knows exactly what he's doing and he really knows his niche Mm-hmm. and knows how to stay within the boundaries of being Mike Shannon. Like there was that time he said something about uh, what he mistaken. What, what did he say? He said something about like, 
I, I think I'm breaking ground on Trips podcast, but I think he said something about a blowjob accidentally one time in, during a game or oh, something. But, yeah, yeah. But other, that aside, and that's a pretty big aside. Um, yeah. But <laughs> uh, uh, bum. Yeah, yeah. He seems to always know exactly where he is and yeah. who his audience is and what they want from him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, he's I, just a wonderful baseball voice. I was, God, I was texting with, uh, a, a beat writer and he told me about getting on uh, the bus one time. I want to say it was in like Cincinnati and they were uh, like, they were just, they were sharing like a shuttle together, just kind of like across town. And he said like Shannon got on the bus, sat down in his seat and like the bus started and he looked at the corner. And he's like, you know, like, well that used to be a club called such and such. And he launched into this story and the story like, just had this like perfect build and crescendo and like ended the second the bus stopped at their hotel or wherever it was going. And he got up and left. Like it was just like absolute perfection. And it's, I, I was like, God, that's just, that's that's exactly what you want Mike Shannon to be. Well, I, I went to the 2011 world series. I was at game six and seven and the day game six was supposed to take place, uh, but it got rained out. Me and my friend were walking around just downtown. We went in like the team store and bought like a world series shirt and stuff like that. And then we walked by close to Shannon's, you know, he used to have that restaurant Mm -hmm. and someone that we bought like an official, like world series baseball from, uh, uh, was telling us that, uh, had we been there an hour earlier, Mike Shannon was there holding court. Um, and you know, he, yeah, he was telling, he was spinning some great stories and I was like, gosh, I wish we had just, you know, if we had happened to just be walking by, you know, oh, yeah. earlier, we it, could have been in the presence of Mike Shannon it, it, during inside the, or outside, the, outside yeah, on, on nice. like the little porch area, yeah. um, of, of old Shannon. Yeah. Cause I never really went inside, but I used to go like, you'd like drink beer in that little like Garden, concrete yeah, bunker yeah. underneath. Cause yeah. God, there was a point where that was like the only place you could even get a drink outside the stadium right. before everything was built. Right. So, um, that or our Boskies. <laughs> That's right. Um, what, what's going on with old Al these days? Is he just kind of doing the, the post game pregame stuff? Yeah. I think, right. I think out to pasture is the term that they use. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I let, let's get this out of the way. Al, Al has not been good at his particular job in a long time. I still have sort of fond feelings for Al Herbosi just because he was the voice when I was watching games yeah. on old like Fox 55, yeah. uh, the weekly game that they would show. It was always Al and shoot, maybe, maybe, uh, uh, who's the guy with the Nats now? Uh, old Cardinals guy. Gosh, I can't believe I can't remember his name anyway, but yeah. yeah. Um, so I still have some fond memories of Al Herbosi, but certainly not in the Mike Shannon, uh, stratosphere that is for sure um no. we are approaching an hour Oof. uh so i think we should go ahead and move on to the chirp of the week as usual i i, I punt it off on my guests so i'm i'm expecting you to really dazzle us ben if, if you do have a chirp of the week that is i uh, i in fact do have a chirp of the week and okay. uh, what was funny is you uh, well, you know we talked about me coming on today i thought i think i feel like i was on the show about a year ago and I, I look back and I was, it was, it was like the end of February. It was like February 20 something 
uh, of last year, like maybe 25th or something. So we, I was on and we were talking about this baseball season that was going to start and we were going to like go to like movies indoors and restaurants and things like this. And we had all these plans. We were young and foolish, but, um, (laughs) but, but I had done that trip of the week and specifically I was looking at spring training stats and just basically trying to kind of, again, quantify like how important is it if somebody has a good spring? And so I thought, well, why don't I take a look at that again this year, both because it will be a way to follow up on that, but also because it's easy and I've already done most of the research. So, um, you know, I, I looked at, and again, for spring training, especially there's the stats are not great. You don't have a lot of advanced stats. So I looked at hitters and pitchers. And for hitters, I looked at OPS for pitchers. I looked at ERA. Okay. Just to see like who led the team in each of these things. Um, so for hitters, I set a minimum of uh, 20, um, at, at bats, um, which, you know, so you're, you're getting out the, you know, the guys who were there for a week or whatever, you know, you're, you're kind of, it's pretty much guys who were in camp the whole time. So just using that, um, I look back at kind of, you know, who have been the, the team leaders, uh, in OPS, uh, each year going back. And so I'll start now, I'll start with 2021 now, and I'll just give you the names of these guys. All right. So 2021, Jose Rondon, uh, 2020, Paul DeYoung, 2019, uh, Randy Rosarina. I'm going to move past that one quickly. 2018, <laughs> Matt Carpenter, 2017, Jose Martinez, 2016, Carlos Peguero, uh, 2015, Randall Grichuk, 2014, Colton Wong, 2013, Shane Robinson, 2010, Brett Anderson. Okay. Those are some guys. That is a list of names. <laughs> I think that's what we can say, right? Let's look at ERA. All right. So again, ERA, um, I, I was looking at, I think, 10 innings pitched here, which again, kind of filters out guys who just were not there very often. 2021, Adam Wainwright. 2020, uh, KK Kim. 2019, Dakota Hudson. 2018, Josh Lucas. 2017, Matt Bowman. 2016, Jonathan Broxton. 2015, Seth Manis. 2014, Adam Wainwright. 2013, Michael Walker. 2012, Victor Marte. Okay, so those are the last 10 years. Also, a list of names. Uh, you know, is that a list of, you know, players who went on to have amazing seasons? Absolutely not. Are some of them, were some of them good players who had good years? Yes, they were. Are some of them guys that you barely remember? Absolutely. I I could not tell you anything about Carlos Peguero. That name barely registers with me. I was going to ask you about Josh Lucas. Josh Lucas? I remember Josh Lucas because I don't. Yeah, he was a, he was a reliever. Um, but it, and it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. How do I not re- how do I not remember Josh Lucas? I don't even know anyway. if he Yeah, I don't really remember I don't remember him either. He may, I, he may not have pitched much that season. I, I barely remember anything either. And and again with COVID, like my memory yeah. is even like just I, I love worse. being able to blame everything on COVID. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, oh, I'm going to do it for the rest of my life. So. Yeah. Um so anyway, to me like that sounds like you drew names randomly out of a hat. And and that just gets at the point of that's what spring training is. It's just it's just random. These guys all had amazing springs, and there's really no conclusions to draw from that. So anyway, that um, is my trip of the week. 
I, the, the lesson, I think, goes back to what you said at the very beginning, which is spring training is um, should be treated with the same uh, level of care as QAnon, I guess. Mm-hmm. That, that was your point. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I, I got to say that doesn't do much for my um, my mission of getting into spring training this year. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was going to pay, pay attention more to it, but I think you're telling me to do the right. exact opposite uh right but well see but again to me but you still get the aesthetics of baseball when you hang out with spring training as opposed to getting the aesthetics of like an 8chan image board or whatever (laughs) so i think it is still quite superior it it is still better yes yes i think no matter how you look at it it's uh spring training um while not the most important thing in the world is better than QAnon, and i I think we can (laughs) we can leave it at uh that uh Ben, as always, thanks so much for coming on. If you don't mind, can you plug the uh, the podcast and the website again, just so everyone has that? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah the the podcast is uh, Cardinals Off Day, and so you can you can just subscribe to that in a, any podcast feed by searching Cardinals Off Day. But uh, again, there will be some uh, written pieces and things like that. And so, if you want to f- follow it and be notified and get those via email, um, uh, Cardinals Off Day dot substack.com we'll get you there awesome and you can follow ben at uh ben godar on twitter and mm-hmm. uh ben you should listen to the new hold steady album uh, i, I will know. i absolutely will i think you should and uh i i, I don't think you'll be let down it, it's it's exactly what you would want from a band who has basically been doing this for 20 years and are what working on their ninth album or so mm-hmm. uh it's not going to excite you as much as boys and girls in america but really what can uh, yeah at my age what excites me as much as <laughs> right there's only 15 years wanna, ago I, I just want to be on like a steady six you know yeah. I, I i think throughout <laughs> the day and, and i'll be happy yep yep Awesome. Thanks so much, Ben. And everyone, thank you so much for listening. This has been Alex at Birds on the Black, and we will talk to you again next week.